2: Welcome back to Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel.
3: I'm Aida Osman. I would just I need to roast Louis real quick because it oh. has been <laughs> it has officially been 4 months of COVID. Ira and I are upping set design every week. Look at Ira right now. If you guys could see him, there's rule of thirds, there's a snake plant. There's a new plant. I have a backdrop.
2: Louis has done nothing. I have a candle. Exactly. The, like I we have <laughs> ring lights. You are in this closet.
3: The curtain has moved a little.
2: There's a blanket. You <laughs> get <laughs> It's not even a curtain.
3: It's not. It's a blanket. Is it a special sound blanket or is it? I just... like
1: single-handedly destroy our Snapchat views every week with my <laughs> set design. I will tell you this. I bought a ring light the other day and it's showing up soon. Okay. That said okay. no idea where I'm gonna put it because Good. I'm in a closet.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for you. I'm excited. Not
2: even a poster. Like Girl, she, she looks like. Hold up the newspaper I with know. the date on it, so we know. <laughs> Lewis, are you okay? You, you are still alive.
1: This was filmed in 1989
3: over here. Yeah. Wow. And he's wearing yellow. He does need help. Also, <laughs> by the time. way, you,
1: you know I put on this yellow shirt, and I was like, Lewis, this is the worst possible idea. But <laughs> I did. It's a
2: bad color on you. I, I like it. I, uh,
1: <laughs> Dionne Warwick is on the shirt, so I made the sacrifice for Dion Warwick. But our viewers can't see the shirt due to it being a podcast, so I actually... As they say, played myself.
2: Hmm. <laughs> I think Dion Warwick would want something goes with your skin tone. You think so? I think that she, I think that she would want that for you. She
3: wants the she shirt think, removed. She's Lewis. like, why
1: don't you walk on by the neon section, Louis Furtell, <laughs> white man. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, that's what dark hues are for. Uh-huh,
3: uh-huh. Okay, insert one in for me since I don't have one on the top of my head. A Dion Warwick joke. Louis, come on. Oh, oh, I oh. dude.
1: Do you know the way to San Jose? Do you know the way to some jewel tones, Lewis? For there we
3: yeah. go. There yeah. we go. Thank you. Thank mm. you.
2: <laughs> mm. We we're, we are just trying to be your um, friends network. Oh, there we go. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. I don't like to reference
1: Camp Dion. I'm only into Canon Dion. But okay, mm. fine.
2: Well, uh, we're going to be talking about Camp today. True enough. Because mm. we certainly have Billy Porter on the show.
1: I love people who, you know, weave dreams. Just they come onto the planet and then the planet is better because they were on it.
2: The icon, the moment, he will be here. We are also going to be returning to the Red Table this week because there's some more healing that needs <laughs> to be done.
3: <laughs> Got to get ourselves out of some entanglements for sure. <laughs>
2: yes, we're going to be talking about Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith's iconic interview. <laughs> We're also going to talk about Lady Antebellum and their choices, a- their, ante- their, their Antebellum behavior. Yeah, <laughs> now they're Lady Postbellum. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Annie Leibovitz is still shooting celebrities. Horribly.
1: <laughs> well, at least it's not a whole photo shoot themed like Snow White again, which I feel like is all we hired her for for 10 years, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to teach
3: Annie how to use the saturation button so bad.
2: Mm. Uh, anyway, that's our show this week. Also, happy birthday, Aida. Thank you. Belated.
3: Thank you very much.
2: You're Appreciate 11 you. years old. Yes. 12 years old? Going yeah,
3: on. Okay.
2: Going on, maybe 50. Yeah. me. <laughs> <Which I feel laughs> like <accurate>. over here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was gonna ignore your birthday because I don't do cancers, but. You
3: know. <laughs> wow, I can't wait! You know what's an- annoying about you is you are so close to being a cancer. You are six days away.
2: Okay, but no, no, I am not on the cusp. Okay? You're you're pretty much the cusp, cusp. ends at the tw- on the twenty fifth. Bitch, you are cusp, and I'm three days past it.
3: <laughs> okay, we'll see, we'll see. You don't you don't be having cancer tendencies. I don't. Wow,
2: cancers are not my friends. Cancers are not my enemies.
1: (laughs) He's on the cusp of a whole bunch of problematic other things, though, so don't worry about it.
2: Anyway, (laughs) we'll be right back. (laughs) On Friday, we learned that... um, if you want to party with the Fresh Prince, you're gonna have to sign a non-disclosure. <laughs> mm-hmm. But before we be- before we get to the red table, what have we been consuming this week?
1: Oh, you know, a mix of high and low culture, as always, as I prefer to live. Uh, First things first, you remember that uh, short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, that you might have had to read in high school, where a woman is confined to an attic, and then you eventually find out how crazy she's gone, and she sees patterns in the wallpaper and stuff? Okay, the COVID version of that is watching every interior design TV show on Netflix you can get your hands on. I found a British one called Interior Design Masters. Guys, I watched the whole thing. I don't even know what was addicting about it, other than... There's something about watching a room get put together that makes being in isolation feel manageable. Like feng shui is as important
2: to me now as friendship once was. You know,
3: <laughs> the irony.
2: It is so ironic that you spent so much time watching this mm. show on design, get and him. Get as him. we've stated, get him. There has been no design <laughs> to your closet. All summer, all COVID, <laughs> and every time you take a Instagram photo, selfie from your apartment, mm. I'm like, where is the design there? It looks bare. You print out a photo from a Elizabeth Taylor movie, slap it on the wall, and that is it.
1: I believe I am the style in my place. I don't believe I need to, shall we say, project that elsewhere. You are the I accessory. Believe people- yes, right, right. You are the
2: right,
3: accent. Right. I got Didn't you.
2: you also watch a master class on interior design at the beginning of COVID? Who I did. that? Wait, who teaches Kelly,
1: that? Kelly Wurstler taught it. And what I learned was Kelly Wurstler <laughs> should do that and not me. So, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It, it literally is wish fulfillment. I wish somebody would come here and just be amazing and have instincts I do not have. But nonetheless... All my style is spent here with you guys. My friends. My friends. Remember? Friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But also, <laughs> um, this week I've consumed, uh, or reconsumed, I should say, the HBO Angels in America from about 14 years ago. I watched all six parts. If you remember, Mike Nichols directed an HBO miniseries version of the generation-defining play Angels in America by Tony Kushner. starred Al Pacino won an Emmy, Meryl Streep won an Emmy. Mary Louise Parker won an Emmy, Jeffrey Wright won an Emmy, and a bunch of other actors who are more straight than you want them to be. (laughs) Um, But the reason I watch this is because I have an activity to recommend to people in COVID. My friend Mason started having us all read plays over Zoom, where we each get assigned a character. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we read the play Love, Valor, Compassion by R.I.P. Terrence McNally. And uh, I got assigned the saltiest character. I don't know where that came from, but all right. And now I'm going to play in this version uh, fucking Roy Cohn himself. Like the worst game maybe who ever lived uh, uh, in Angels in America. And I have to tell you something. Even if you're not like familiar with the play or you're just sitting there like reading it for the first time. It is fucking very edifying. There's like you complete something together with your friends. You're over Zoom. You're looking at each other. You're laughing at the comments. You're discovering the content of whatever you're reading. It's just a blast. Like, you're not yourself for a second. I, I can't, I've, I, when I was in high school at one point, I thought maybe I could be an actor or something. But you grow up. Acting's a hard profession. You don't want to do it. To do it even kind of casually for a half hour is a blast <laughs> and a really good way to spend time in isolation. I totally recommend it. Yeah.
0: Noted. Thank you, Lewis.
2: <laughs> Look at me telling yeah. you to read plays even more emphatically than Ira usually does. Yeah. Wow. I've actually been reading the um, Pulitzer Prize winners for drama, um, so that's been my project.
1: Oh. Lately. Which one? Which one are you at?
2: Are you at Ruined uh, yet? Yes. I'm. I'm rereading the ones that I've also seen, um, but I'm not on Ruined yet. I'm on Cost of Living. Mm, so mm-mm. 2018, I did obviously. I've seen a strange loop. A strange loop is not out yet. Um, the script to read, but when I'm doing that, I'm also if they're available, reading the finalists too. Oh sure, Heroes of the Fourth Turning by Will Arbery is not available yet. Still waiting on that one. So I had to basically skip most of 2020 because um, Soft Power is also not not out in script form. But Red Fairview, Dance Nation what the Constitution means to me. So mm-hmm. started in 2019, now I'm on 2018.
1: I'm so mad I didn't see Soft Power at the time by David Henry Huang, the master who once gave us um, M. Butterfly. By the way, I have never like connected with Al Pagino really as an actor before until okay. I now have to recite the lines he said in this thing. Okay, actually it turns out he's really fucking amazing. Did you know that? I
2: was-
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: he oh, he welcome. makes monsters- Welcome monster- to the yeah. world
2: in the guess, I know. Wow, what a discovery. <laughs>
0: I didn't realize that
1: monstrousness is not always easy. Like, you can't just... (laughs) It it feels like an easy acting choice, like, to go kind of broad and snide. But, uh, Mm -hmm. no, it's really a fabulous performance. Overall, I don't know that I am obsessed with the miniseries, though, particularly how it ends. Like, the fantastical conclusion of it isn't as fulfilling as I imagine it was seeing it live, and I've never seen the play live, so...
2: Yeah. Um,
3: Look at us being literate this week. We're so... It really is disturbing. It really is disturbing. All of my culture things that I've consumed are books of poetry as well. Um, really? Yes, I'm on a kick. I'm on a kick. And when I get obsessed with a thing, oh, I'm all the way in, all the way in. Right now, I am reading. It's funny because today's actually non People's Day. So I wanted to bring up a few of my favorite nonbinary artists that I am celebrating today. Artists like Dua Saleh, who is a Sudani Muslim non person who makes some of the best rap music and hip hop music, just poetry and movement. Um, their name is spelled D-U-A-S-A-L-E-H. You can find them online, of course. Okay, and also I'm reading books of poetry by Andrea Gibson, this book called Pansy, and another book called Lord of the Butterflies, where this poet very intimately explores what it means for them to have a they them identity and to talk about always having felt binary and what that looks like for them, which is beautiful and inspiring in its own right. But then also reading a lot of black poets who, speaking of Pulitzer Prize books that I can't get access to because they're either unavailable or fucking sold out, I'm trying to get Tradition by Jericho Brown, which we brought up on the podcast before two and it is nowhere to be found so congrats to jericho brown for making that <laughs> wop i appreciate it i would love to read why again why you won but it's i i can wait and right now i'm reading homie by denise smith and of course hanif Abdurraqib, who ira and i are obsessed with
2: aida i have tradition
3: you have it you had it the whole time <laughs> yeah, yeah okay girl you no, might I need have, to send a I photo have the o-
2: i have the only Copy of tradition. Uh, Please, <laughs> I will let you borrow photo. it.
3: Send it my way.
2: Uh, I'm not going to national treasure it for you, bitch. I'm
0: gonna,
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll drop it off so you can read it.
1: Uh, I love this version of that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where the kids have to get the, the Harry Potter copy nine years before it yeah. comes out or whatever. Yeah. Not to invoke the name of J.K. Rowling right I, now. But, foof, yeah. uh, uh,
3: But that's it. Reading a lot of books. I hope you guys read them, too, and listen to Dua Saleh. And also listen to Shamir (laughs) Bailey, who I have been obsessed with lately. Oh, well,
1: imagine not loving him. I I know.
3: I know. Inspiring. And I know that- On
1: the regular, still one of the great songs of the past, whatever, eight, nine years. Yeah, Yes.
2: I had actually gotten um, Adanez his recent collection of poetry, because as I've been reading theater again, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've I've just been thinking- you know, lyrically, you know, and writing dialogue and, you know, um, just trying to increase my cognitive thinking, um, uh, because my brain feels like, well, my brain feels like um, mush, to quote Viola Davis uh, (laughs) (laughs) in her recent profile, just because she was like, I've been on a TV show for six years, my brain feels like mush, and I feel like the beginning of quarantine, I was averaging like two and a half books a day, and then... At the certain point, like, I shifted to reading, like, books on, like policing and prison abolition. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was like, girl, I need a break. And I've just been watching MTV's The Challenge. (laughs) And I have not cracked open a book book. until these plays um, recently. And then I was like, you know what? Poetry has also been like the one thing I've never gotten into.
0: Yeah.
1: By the way, can I say something about The Challenge? There was a recent, I think, Entertainment Weekly interview with a producer on The Challenge about how it's like never been nominated for an Emmy and really it has the same production value as a show like The Amazing Race but you don't get to congratulate for yourself for the like exoticness of the locations and also the characters are like you know scummier than average play dirtier than a show like Amazing Race but that doesn't mean it's qualitatively a worse show it is weird that that show's been snubbed based on how long it's been on the air
0: damn
2: i will say currently Fuck MTV's The Challenge, uh, because uh, okay, this season, the end of it, has been completely ruined by a Sherry Pie incident. No, really? Wait, what? So, um, Dee Nguyen is a contestant on The Challenge, and she was sort of had like a villainous turn this season. Unfortunately, she made a lot of shitty comments about Black Lives Matter during the protests, And she was fired from MTV and they severed their ties and they said they would be playing out the rest of the season without edits, which is a fucking lie. And she's basically been erased from the show. Tell us the truth, and so storylines that were being set up don't make sense. And she has no talking heads anymore, and you barely even see her um, in group scenes because they managed to cut away from her, and it just completely deflated a storyline in the house. Several stories.
3: I, you know what? I appreciate this take. I love this take that you're like, "Fuck it, don't ruin the show just because this." It's so dumb. Know, like, just let it let it play out, and then make your statement. Do with the RuPaul of it all. With you
2: said, cherry pie. It's even more offensive than the Sherry Pie thing, because this is like, she said some dumb shit on Twitter. I'm glad she lost her job, but like, can we see the rest of the episode, MTV?
3: And now you, a black man, has to suffer through this bullshit programming. <laughs> yeah, it's So it's trash. technically, it's trash. It's still egregious. But I have
2: been watching The Challenge and listening to... Um, former Keep It guest co-host, Ray Sani's podcast on The Challenge. I love how much she fucking loves shows like that. There's a particular (laughs)
1: obsessiveness to her like big brother love, whatever, that's very addicting. I miss her stand-up so
2: much.
3: Ugh, I need the world to resume.
2: Truly. Only probably one or two years away, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, getting back into the news, uh, last Friday, Jada Pinkett Smith was the subject of her own Facebook watch show, Red Table Talk to address the rumors of her romantic entanglement (laughs) with R&B singer August Alcina. When she said
1: entanglement, I was like, that's an Alanis Morissette word. Like, we're going into the (laughs)
2: six-syllable
3: Right. The the, the Fiona Apples.
2: (laughs) Let's talk about this, because I felt like the word entanglement was premeditated of course the of way course, she kept course. saying it and then of course will is like jada an entanglement an entanglement
3: <laughs> You know what? <laughs> sounded I, what like, I sounded like this?
2: black china entanglement embezzlement
3: <laughs> Entangle. <laughs> Bro, this, i just want I, will smith is hilarious is is all i have to say from this and i think he's a very very funny and charming that damn table goofy fucking table i just this is not how i even wanted the chapter of this book to end by the way i didn't want it to end in this amicable conversation i thought there was going to be a polyamorous storyline i didn't think it was going to be adult i'm just not Mm -hmm. impressed or happy
2: so the red table of course is the setting of red table talk a facebook watch series that jada hosts along with her mom, and sometimes uh, Willow and Jaden appear. And it's essentially a talk show where they talk to themselves, though. Like, they have um, emotional conversations about certain topics, and then sometimes other celebrities and friends will stop by. uh, And it really is one of those weird amalgamations of a talk show and the trend of celebrities interviewing themselves. hmm Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that sort of like Elle interview with Emma Stone and Jennifer Lawrence, you know, yeah. especially like um, Beyonce in her own words for her Vogue cover. It's very much... Controlling the narrative, yeah. and it's also a show where she uses a lot of self-help section at Barnes and Noble terminology. Yeah, <laughs> to, and so which, um, which does appeal to me. Like it is like
1: calming to hear that kind of stuff, but it also is very familiar. Like in the yes, yes, exact yeah. way you said. Yeah, I'm
3: mm-hmm. not. I'm not of the camp that's like this helps dismantle celebrity culture. I can see that there is definitely some conniving nature to this, like you're getting at, Ira. I don't like it at all.
2: Yeah. You know, I was shocked that they actually sat down at the table and talked about this. I remember when Red Table Talk first debuted, they hinted that there were some problems in their marriage. They Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, quote-unquote, breaking up in their marriage and having to get back together. This was really the culmination of it, just because August had said in an interview with The Breakfast Club, I totally gave myself to that relationship with Jada for years. I truly loved her and had a ton of love for her i devoted myself to it i gave my full self to it and there were some vague denials and then of course jada tweeted there's some healing that needs to happen so i'm bringing myself <laughs> to the red table
3: <laughs> and then all the memes of her sitting at the red table by herself yeah girl i was dead well it's like the way this all unfolded was i believe a series of misunderstandings, but. It was just a bad fucking look for their family because now you have a scorned lover who's bearing his soul and saying that he got his blessing from Will, but we were all very quick to think that that meant that both relationships were occurring at the same time, mm-hmm. and yeah, so some healing did need to need to be had.
1: <laughs> I will say, though, in the actual interview itself, did you not feel like it reminded you of Jodie Foster's Golden Globe speech where she quote-unquote came out, but actually just yeah. said yeah. things yeah. like... When going through life, sometimes you have to go through things. Yeah. You know, just like, like, like I'm, I'm like deciphering pieces of fragments of things uh-huh. that are supposed to indicate candor, but really... I feel like I'm more just guessing at what happened between the two of them, other than she obviously had a relationship with this guy, and then it ended, and Will is seemingly okay with it. Though, by the way, I spent the entire interview watching Will's face, who clearly is not used to confrontational conversations of this nature, particularly in public.
2: That is the entire thing I meant about her using that, like, self-help terminology, you know? like. The Red Table itself is generally, you know, about healing and about having these important conversations. But the way that they use terms like healing and entanglements and, you know, the only person that can give permission in that particular circumstance is myself. Like things <laughs> like that. It, it feels very controlled and Just, tempered. Yeah. And it is a new form of PR, In a sense, you know, I remember when Snoop Dogg visited after he had those comments about Gail King and Oprah. Jordan Woods visited after the Kylie Jenner, Khloe Kardashian incident.
3: The turtleneck talk, the blouse talk, the get dressed up and, you know, rattle off your kind of Psych 101 My Headspace app. Ideas. I understand what you're saying. And there was a point I wanted to bring up, though, that it seemed like they were having a healthy conversation about August. And then at one point, things pivoted when they talked about the nature of how they met him. Mm-hmm. And they just kept saying, he was so sick. He was just so sick. And we had, like, insinuating that they were taking care of him and that was kind of a favor to their family. And it, that's at one point where I was like, Ugh. I don't like the way you guys are talking about the situation.
2: That was a strange moment I agree I agree because I kept because I just had more questions. Yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it became PR and it also became dark because the insinuation that August was sick and going through these addiction issues and Jada was helping him and mm-hmm. the family was helping him and then to start a sexual relationship with that person seems inappropriate.
3: Yeah, very much so.
2: And in their spin of trying to make it seem like it was just pure innocent fun, it reveals something that actually seemed a lot more twisted. Um, And so that's also what happens, you know, when celebrities try and control the narrative. Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting (laughs) that this show, which is a very popular talk show, um, has built into it the ability to control a narrative and just sort of be unleashed whenever the Smiths decide to use it, you know?
3: Yeah. And then they have this exceptional ability to make it look candid and vulnerable because it is just two people talking, but it's quite the opposite. I think.
2: Yes. It's still a produced show. Um, They, you know, I'm sure talk about what they're going to talk about beforehand. There's no world where Jada and, will sit down at the table and that is the first time they discuss yeah. this and it's just off the cuff, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. I would like them both to actually have candid conversations just about their careers. Like, if Jada sat across from a VHS copy of Woo and just asked it questions for 20 minutes,
2: <laughs> I would be okay with it. <laughs> Scream 2, please come to the table. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and let us not forget that this entire show was so interesting because... All the questions that circled them before were, yes, about maybe they had broken up in their marriage before. Like there were rumors about swinging in their relationships, their connection to Scientology and people like Tom Cruise, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I will commend the Smiths for. Creating this very popular talk show, which has now diverted the conversation from a lot of questions people had about their family Slick. prior to it. I
1: remember Slick. I heard on a a radio segment. I forget it was like not Kiss FM, but something like that, where they were, there was a segment with Will and Jada where they were clearing up rumors about them, and they said both twice, "We are not swingers and we are not Scientologists." They like I, I was very surprised that they addressed it that. Bluntly, but at the same time, it feels like I'm the only person who heard this interview. So I have to now keep this, and I, I, I'm telling you, I heard it, everybody. I'm not a crazy person, but anyway, well, I won't they have you. tried to address it. Yeah.
2: In other controlling the narrative news, on June 11th, rock band Lady Antebellum announced that they were changing their name to Lady A, and in a long Instagram post explaining their decision. They also use this bullshit self help double speak.
3: I thought you said devil speak, and then you said double speak. But did you <laughs> say
0: devil
2: speak? I said, said, said double speak, but I should have said devil speak. because yeah. talk, talk about some white devils. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote on Instagram after much personal reflection, banned discussion prayer, and many honest conversations with some of our closest black friends and <coughs> colleagues. They capitalized black. <laughs> See, learning. We have decided to drop the word antebellum from our name and move forward as Lady A, the nickname our fans gave us almost from the start. <laughs> well, let me tell you something about Lady I can't. A. <laughs> I can't. Lady A is a bitch because <laughs> June 12th, A Seattle blues singer named Anita White was like, actually, my name is Lady A. So whatever Lady A is walking around making Instagram posts talking about their (laughs) black colleagues and their personal reflection and prayer, it's some bullshit. Because she talked to Rolling Stone about her new name competitor saying, I'm not about to stop using my name. She's Anita White, a black woman who performed under the name for over 20 years, and the band didn't contact her before the decision, which, of course, they didn't. Mm -mm. And she said to Rolling Stone, you all found out my name on Spotify easily and (laughs) interviewed me. They didn't do that shit? Come on.
1: Also, I will say this. Okay, if there's a natural way to shorten a name, I could see wanting to use that name if you're a really popular band. That said, the minute you find out there's, like, another singer with that name and you already have this gigantic following, I just don't see the damage in completely changing your name, particularly if the shortening you have, Lady A, really just makes you think, well, what does the A stand for, which is antebellum. Like, I'm still thinking of your old name.
3: The levels of fuckery in this story, I don't know. We have a white country group fighting for the name of a black blues singer who is a woman so they can make music in the field of country Which is notorious for co-opting black culture. These bum bitches. (laughs) There's just so much shit going on. Oh, my God. And I'm sick of just watching why people act like racism in society can be distilled to, like, a misnomer or distilled to, oh, I'm sorry, we were just looking at this incorrectly. And you guys only did this because George Floyd died and people started asking questions.
2: Right. There is this... Entire air over everything that's happening right now in music, in Hollywood, corporate America, wherever, uh, involving people who are supposedly, you know, trying to be better. And it's really just slapping a Band-Aid over things or so many cosmetic changes. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe that Instagram post in the first place when they wrote about changing their name to Lady A. And I believe it less even now. Yeah. Because... Obviously, they started having conversations about the name and what they could do about it. And then apparently the um, talks broke down and now they're both suing one another. Mm -hmm. According to Anita, you know, she never really believed that they were being genuine about um, wanting to work with her and figure things out. And she does point out the fact that they are a, she was initially suing them for $10 million just because they are a huge ass band (laughs) with a big platform and a label behind them. And as Lewis said, you know, like they could essentially bury her if they wanted and her changing her name, it would cost so much money and work, you know, to rectify a 20 year career versus Mm -hmm. them they change their name and they're going to get so much press and have the weight of a label behind them to change records, you know, or like change merchandise and et cetera. And it just doesn't seem evenly matched. And to talk about this personal reflection that you're having in prayers and talking to black colleagues. Did your black colleagues tell you that the thing to be doing now is publicly beefing with a black woman? <laughs> right. Did they tell you that?
3: In the midst of BLM protests? Yeah.
1: Also, like, th- so they have a trademark on the name Lady A, and that means they could sue someone like this woman. Absolutely does not mean you should. Right. Like, the optics on this situation are so bizarre and so obviously fraught, and all these things we've been talking about, how country music has pilfered from black artists for, you know, decades upon a century, whatever. Are all right at the fore. You don't have to even think about it to notice yeah. these kinds of things.
2: Not even pilfered the idea that black people can't even be successful in country music too. You know because there is the we get one Bla- Darius. Uh, Darius <laughs> there's Rucker. The, there's the uh, and Kane Brown. Kane Brown. Well, say. no, Lil not Little Nas, Lil Nas because yeah. when Old Town Road Correct. happened, we if we recall. It wasn't allowed to be a country hit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Beyonce's Daddy Lessons wasn't even Mm -hmm. allowed to be one, too. And there's a thing in country music gatekeeping where... White people get to easily jump from genre to genre on charts, you know? And whenever black people make music, it could be country as hell. It's still going to be, you know, put on the coon charts.
3: (laughs) This is very... I mean, it reminds me of how this is different from the Dixie Chicks, who are now just the Chicks, because... We've seen in their actions that they have been advocating for the rights of marginalized people. I mean, mostly just women, but you know what I'm getting at in comparison to this Lady A situation. I
2: still think that name is dumb, too. So it is stupid.
3: It's stupid. (laughs) It is dumb.
2: The Chicks. (laughs)
3: It's <laughs> and it's yeah it's come all of the, on but with the with the lady a stuff it's like changing your your racist name or posting mm-hmm. a black square it's all of these hollow cosmetic actions like you were saying that white people do That's it's like they're pulling from this well of what can we do that makes it look like we care but we don't give a shit and also anita white the woman lady a said that in the initial proceedings Lady Antebellum wanted to record a song with her. They wanted to do a documentary of the conversations just to prove that they were coming to some amicable decision.
2: They wanted to take a photo of the Zoom interview. Like It all seemed very much like, look at us. We're interacting with this black woman. It seems so craven and transparent. And also, country music is being hella quiet about this. Of course. And when we talk about racism in country music, the way that so many people wanted to come out and speak about the Dixie Chicks before um, and the way people, you know, actually came to Lil Nas X's defense uh, when... He couldn't get on the country charts. I wouldn't like some white people in country music to start speaking up about what Lady Antebellum is doing because it is perpetuating the history of racism that comes out of Nashville. And it's gross.
3: I'm going to say on the record, fuck that little band. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> they can call themselves Fiddlesticks McGee or whatever the fuck they want to go by. <laughs> Stupid ass band. I'm uh, so pressed about this.
2: The Ballad
1: right. of Fiddlesticks McKee. Sounds like a Lady Antebellum song. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and I would also be remiss today if we did not mention the unfortunate and completely sad um, passing of Naya Rivera. I'm just sad about yeah. it, you know?
3: It's hard to even have words for it. Like, I'm just watching Naya's performances and Glee and remembering how vividly I saw her and her image, seeing a woman of color just being a lesbian character on a show that I watched at a young age, like was a very pivotal thing for me. And also just Naya as a person and everything that her castmates are saying about her online—it's just—it's so painful to look at. And
1: (sighs) I really recommend people read uh, Kevin McHale's Instagram post about her. It was really uh, touching, and
3: his Twitter thread. Yeah, he had a very nice Twitter thread about it too. She
1: also in in a cast of people that was a very stuffed ensemble. If she were not on that show, there would have been a serious gap in the level of acidity that she brought Mm -hmm. in the level of like brashness that she brought. There was just a, she was sort of like the Lucy van Pelt of peanuts. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like like Mm -hmm. the coming in, like here's the hard joke. And like, uh, I I'm here not just to like amuse people, but to really lacerate. Yeah. And there was a specific power to her that was just fabulous. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know, it it's it's always been hard to rewatch Glee, yeah. particularly because the, that show just has so many dark things in its past. Right. Uh, um and it was sort of therapeutic watching some of these scenes with her in them because, you know, she she managed to rise above all of the feelings you have about Glee. You mm-hmm. know, um, she's just so great. And it's it's really sad, you know, to see someone 33, um, especially with a son, their life cut short, someone who was so talented. Yeah. Um, it's also very sad to hear about um Kelly Preston's death this weekend, too, you know, um, dying of cancer, a battle that we all didn't know she had. Um, my friends and I, whenever we watch Glee clips, um, we're also always watching Maroon 5's She Will Be Loved video, um, and it just seems like, you know, an iconic video, Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it truly is, <laughs> but... And now it's just like, wow, both of those things just have so much sadness around them.
3: You know, I am going to miss her especially for her role as Avery Bishop in Jerry Maguire because I, too, want to punch she
2: punched Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise in his
3: little Tom Cruise face. <laughs> I love that scene. I love that scene. My mom and I always cheer. <laughs> oh, and I, also, I, I cannot ignore her, like, 2003 like appearances in What a Girl Wants. She plays Amanda Vine's mom. I remember that movie very vividly. And Sky High, where she plays a badass superhero named Jetstream. So, yeah. Yeah, R.I.P. Kelly Preston.
1: Her baffling appearance on Fear Factor when we all watched that show. And then John Travolta was like the guest where he like revs her up before the big Fear Factor stunt. Because by the way, there was a time when we watched a Joe Rogan hosted TV show every week. Just reminding everybody, it's a strange time.
3: Are you serious? That's Joe Rogan, but with hair. Oh my God, my brain
0: (laughs) is exploding (laughs) right now. Oh no. Oh
3: no oh no okay I'll, I'll deal with this after the podcast but a lot of things are happening right now <laughs> alright
2: <laughs> when we're back we'll be joined by Billy Porter <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams Lewis yes when you see Our guest today has been in the game for over 30 years, and we are so excited that he is finally getting the recognition he deserves as a Tony, Emmy, and Grammy winner, soon to be Oscar winner, I'm sure, (laughs) from FX's Pose, Billy Porter. Hello, how are you? We're great, we're so excited to have you here. It's good to be here, I'm excited to be had.
1: <laughs> I was like pretty great before you started speaking and then you spoke and I am like, I feel like the actual sun now. Like I, I, I really can power through this day. <laughs> well that's
4: good, good for you. I'm trying to do the same thing for myself. Put some goodness out into the world during all this mess.
1: In addition to you being like such a powerful speaker, and by the way, I've seen you speak multiple times. I'll go to a queer event there's Billy uh, just like slaying. Um, the art you've been a part of for the past few decades now is you're always such a standout in it and my question is, what is the most satisfying art to make for you right now? What makes you feel like, oh this like scratches a particular itch in 2020
4: I want to create art that makes a difference. I want to create art that ignites change. Artists have that power. We've always been the ones to speak truth to power. We've always, since the beginning of time, and, you know, when you do it creatively, it cracks the heart open in a different way. You know, it's not finger wagging. It's not blaming. It's not shaming. It's very often just a perspective, presenting facts through a very particular lens and perspective. Um, I have one of those. That allows for me and requires me to speak from authority.
2: Thinking too, just about the beginning of your career as well, um, what would you say that was on your mind when you were recording like untitled? You know, like your first album and how you thought you wanted to present yourself in the industry and how much you've realized you can never go back to something like that or yeah. maybe you would like to go back to something like recording an R&B album?
4: I always talk about how grateful I am that the kind of success I'm achieving is happening to me at this age. Because in my 20s, when I had my R&B record deal in the 90s and I was trying to sort of be masculine enough so that I could eat, and I wasn't bad at it. There are things that everybody can see, and if you didn't know me, you would think (laughs) I was straight. Like, it's not a big deal. But chipping away with every part of myself that I gave away at that time, ended in, as far as I'm concerned, failure. Mm-hmm. My record deal imploded, my my recording career imploded. It was a failure, you know, monetarily. And the thing that I realized at the end of that was that I failed as somebody else. Ultimately, I failed at doing something that everybody else was telling me to do or that I should do. And ultimately, It wasn't me. It didn't have anything to do with me. It had everything to do with somebody's idea of what I should be. So now that I've proven everybody wrong 25 years later, (laughs) and everything that I thought I should be doing all that time ago is what's working for me now, I had to wait for this time. I had to wait for this space. I had to wait for the world to be ready for this Black queer out leading man, you know, it's a new archetype. It's a new thing, you know, we're creating it as we go. There are a few of us in this space. And, you know, what I learned was that I needed to step into a leadership position. You know, back at the time when I was recording Untitled, you know, I wanted to be the male Whitney Houston. I wanted Clive Davis to discover me or David Foster or Quincy Jones and, you know, make me a star like they did everybody else. You know, I had that kind of talent, like I was waiting for somebody. And the disappointment really pushed me into taking agency and ownership and not giving that power over to other people. And that's when I started writing and creating and, you know, doing all that stuff. So yes, I do want to come back to the music industry. I am, I have sort of started already, you know, my for what it's worth, political single is out. I also have um, Love Yourself, which came out last year, which is a dance tune. And I also have Finally Ready with the Shapeshifters that came out a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm leaning towards disco, house, Mm -hmm. 70s funk. I'm I'm leaning towards picking up the torch where Sylvester left off, Mm -hmm. you know, coming back Mm -hmm. into the space Mm -hmm. as, you know, he was black and queer and gender nonconforming before we even had the language to know what to call him. So, you know, it's time for that energy in the mainstream market again.
2: I just saw you in um, Love Me Like You Should, the short um, Oh, the Sylvester documentary short, yes. on Sylvester. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, I
4: haven't seen it yet.
2: Um, it was fantastic. You're featured so much in it too, just talking about him and it was beautiful just seeing this weird timeline, you know, of a time when someone like Sylvester was existing. And it seems like we had shifted so much away from what that should have meant, you know? Um, Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. You
1: know, Jermaine Stewart. Yeah. These people (laughs) we are fucking obsessed with God.
4: But what I see and what I understand now in retrospect is that I needed to ground myself as a human being so that I could stand in this truth, stand in this space, hold this space on the level that I have to, dealing with the bullshit that I have to deal with. You know, this internet thing, you know, I I didn't grow up with this. So it's really, really an interesting space for me. You know, I know that I have to have it. You know, it's a business tool for me. It's a way of life for a certain generation. You know, there's a whole generation of people that do not know how to communicate if not on the internet, if not on social media. They don't know how to communicate. And it's inter- it's a very interesting thing because the world only moves forward. It only spins forward. So I have to understand how this works. You know, but I also I've ha- I've had to make some decisions in terms of how I engage, what my engagement is inside of these spaces that are still, I feel, very much the wild, wild west. You know, I think we are sitting in the middle of, with this administration, the absolute worst of what the internet and social media and reality television and all of these new things can bear. It's like Obama used, you know, social media in his campaign and brought the the good of that and the outreach of that and how that had tentacles in But it works the other way as well. What do we do about that? It's like it's a whole new world. And I was afraid that the tools that civil activist movements in the past have had, you know, the tool of the media, I was afraid that we had lost it because of the desensitizing, us being on our phones like this all day and the the visuals and the, the reality TV and the social media and the, you know, it felt like we had become desensitized. And then George Floyd happened. And that eight minutes and 46 seconds, I think snapped everybody back. And I think we are in this sort of global reset. And this is the moment that humanity has to choose. We have a choice to make and it starts right now. We as a full collective humanity have a choice to make. So we'll see.
1: Um, Speaking of communicating on an in-person level, I have, as I've noted several times on this podcast, a problem where I love award shows. It's just simply what I love. (laughs) Um, Most of them really. I was just thinking about the past few years of award shows and how if you weren't a part of them, they would be seriously less interesting than they usually are. I feel like you, you, you approach them with like the precision of an assassin. You're like, here I come to the Oscars, ready to slay in a Jane Eyre style dress, whatever. <laughs> It seems like you've been preparing for this moment, for like, for like yeah. being able to take advantage of a gigantic, whatever, red carpet experience. Yeah. you know, When you started going to these again and again and again, were you always ready for it? Did you always know you'd make an impact like these?
4: Well, here's the deal. I've always been in fashion. You know, as I've been in the business for 30 plus years, you know, I've had the luxury of seeing many of my friends rise to fame. I have had the luxury of watching the process and taking from it the things I like and making note of the things that I don't like. And one of the things that I saw was that women get to use fashion as a revenue stream, as a signifier, as art. And so I set out knowing that that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea that it would catch on so quickly, that it would happen so fast, you know, and that it would happen as large as it did. I wasn't really wearing gender fluid things outside of playing Lola and Kinky Boots. Like I wasn't even thinking of it Mm -hmm. like that. And I was uh, getting ready to go on a summer tour for my album, Billy Porter Presents the Soul of Richard Rogers, And I knew that I wanted to look, like I was like, I have to, I'm trying to like, Use this album to bridge my way back into the music industry. I need a look that's not just like, you know, this geek chic thing that I'm doing. What, you know, and I was I was out and I happened to stumble across a store of the designer Rick Owens. And I walked in and he's, you know, lots of unisex stuff, lots of like downtown chic dress, shirt, you know, platforms, shapes angular you know just like wild crazy art and I spent a lot of money that day <laughs> and sort of made the change and made the shift and it was like well I'm going to go in this direction there was a lady that said well you know this dress is its unisex you can wear it it's interesting to me that it never occurred to me after having won a Tony Award and a Grammy for playing a drag queen that but I think the difference is and the difference in what I'm doing is that I actually am not a drag queen. I am no shade because drag is an amazing art form, but I am a cisgendered gay man who likes to wear dresses sometimes. I like to explore fashion. I like to be gender nonconforming. I like to be a walking piece of art every time I show up to one of these events. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. Why? Like, I've always asked the question, why? From the moment that I was a child, I was very curious and very inquisitive, and it got me in trouble all the time. But why? Why can't dot, dot, dot? Why should we dot, dot? Like, why? Whose rule? Who made that? Like, why do we have to follow what rules that are made by who? (laughs) Then break the rules. Like, I've always been a rule breaker. I'm just thrilled and humbled that I lived long enough (laughs) to see the day where my rule breaking. Does good things for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Oh, I love that.
2: I know you. Yeah, you. You've talked before, you know, about how it, it's surprising, even when, like, you know, maybe straight since men are like they see you on TV and they're like, my kids like Billy Porter, you know, and yeah. it's, it's it's changing so much, you know. I mean, I remember when when I was a kid, you know, like I like the sitcom Martin. And I liked Shanae that character, you know, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. even trying to impersonate that character in school Uh was something that got me in trouble. You know, like this teacher would call my mom and it's like you think back, like, why was that something to call a parent over? You know,
4: right. Because Martin can do it.
2: Yeah. But
4: Martin is straight
2: Mm -hmm.
4: and doing it. So when you're straight and doing it, it's easy. Because the audience knows you're going home to have sex with your wife. That's Mm -hmm. called panto. It's a style that comes out of London. I'm like it Hot Tootsie, Jawana Man, Mrs. Doubtfire. All of those things are lovely. They are straight men in dresses. Mm -hmm. That's what the world at large can stomach. The minute that the person in the dress is gay, the minute that they're same gender loving in a dress, then it becomes dangerous for some reason. You know, when I was asked to go do Sesame Street that hasn't aired yet, Um, it's airing next season, they asked for the Oscar dress and I came and they wrote a beautiful song about friendship with me in my Oscar dress and a penguin. And then (laughs) Elmo shows up And the little fairy girl shows up, and we sing a beautiful song. Sesame Street put me standing in the Oscar dress on the the stairs, you know, the iconic stairs, and they posted it on their page. And, you know, the vitriol that comes from people because I'm wearing a dress. Like, I don't understand, you know, like the, the governor of Arkansas or something threatened to take the funding from PBS away if they aired the episode where I was in a dress because it's perverted, you know, there's an agenda, the gay agenda, and I'm gonna come and molest their children. It's like, this is exactly the conversation I wanna have. Mm -hmm. Like in a public town hall forum, so we can really hash it out. So we can really, really talk about why me over here, minding my own black ass business, doing what I as a grown man can do has anything to do. Where's the line that leads to me coming into your house to molest your children. I need you to walk me through the line that gets from this to that. I need the walk, you know, because in my life, I've only had sex with consenting adults. A child molester is a child molester, gay or straight. That's, that's not the same thing. Stop conflating those things. It's not the same thing. I'm sick of having this conversation. That's why you see the anger. You know, that's why my trauma shows sometimes, like I said the other day on Eichner. Cause I'm sick of it. I'm tired. Every single day of my life it's been this. So you might get cussed out now. You very well might. I'll do my best not to, but you might get cussed out and come for me in the wrong way.
1: Also, the moral is like what they're mad at is that they can't shove their beliefs about who you are down kids throats. It's not that it's that you had a voice that you had a a say in it at all.
4: Right. (laughs) It's like, no, actually what Sesame street is doing is teaching children. What y'all aren't teaching them, which is everybody on the planet is human. And some people are going to be different than you. And that doesn't mean that you treat them poorly, treat everybody the same. That's what Sesame street is saying. Mm -hmm. That's what most of you all Proclaim from you know the evangelical God point of view. It's like, but the way you're behaving doesn't have anything to do with God or the Bible. It's actually the opposite mm-hmm. of what the Bible says, dude. So now I'm really confused. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, speaking of Billy Eichner, a, a friend of me and Lewis's, I loved seeing that interview of yours with him hosting. Jimmy Kimmel, uh, it was so exciting seeing two gay men having a conversation on a late night TV show.
4: I uh, no, right?
2: Yeah, and you talking about your Instagram, too, about um, yeah. just how we need to stand up more for the black trans community, you know? And yeah. um, I really appreciated that and wanted to talk to you about it because I feel like for so long, we have wanted to, in the black community, keep white people from insisting you know that we are more homophobic than them you know um, it's always the conversation yeah. when you talk about homophobia in the black community you want to say don't just mention that we're not the reason prop 8 etc those things but you know now that black trans women you know we know they're being killed by black men um, we know that yeah we have so much to talk about now what made it just so imperative for you to really want to be having these conversations in public My
4: masculinity has been in question since I could comprehend thought. So I grew up in the Pentecostal church and while my family loved me and my people loved me, I know that they did, you know, homophobia is a dangerous, violent, emotionally violent thing. It's interesting to me because it's colonized religion. So with the colonization of indigenous cultures come the Christian religion. And the Christian religion says that gay people are wrong. But if you look back at indigenous cultures like the American Indian or the African communities or the Asian communities in particular, they all have a two-spirit a two-spirit archetype, a two-spirit entity that exists inside of the indigenous culture. And that two-spirit person, AKA the queer person, is the protector of the tribe. Mm -hmm. They're honored because they can speak to the earth and through the spirit. And it's the conduit of their queerness that is the point. The Christian colonization has managed to keep that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we're pushing back on everything else, but we're gonna keep that one thing. Every culture is gonna keep that one thing, you know, get rid of the Mm gays. You know, I've been fighting it for so long. I've been in the middle of it for so long, whether it's the rejection from the church or the rejection from white people or the rejection from black people or the rejection period, the muting, the silencing, you know, you're a faggot, go somewhere, sit down and shut up. When your whole life is that, you I, you know, I've watched my humanity be up for legislation every single day of my life. And not just the black side, but the queer side, too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just tired of not talking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of, you know, being the scapegoat and being vilified simply for existing on the planet. You know, all Orangina45 had to do was cry, the niggers is coming to get your shit and look at where <laughs> we are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the
4: same shit for 400 years. that's all he had to say again. Mm-hmm. that's all he had to do again. you know, it's the same hate, it's the same fear, it's the same thing. and I'm just trying to, as I speak about it and as I dive in this time around, because mm. I've been in this shit before, that's why I'm talking like this, is that everybody needs to understand that the only way we move forward as a species, the only way that humanity survives and succeeds is for everyone to understand, every human being to understand how to honor the other human being, how to respect everyone's humanity. We do not have to agree. We don't have to agree to respect each other. You know, it's like, that's the conversation I feel that needs to shift a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea of like, my worth comes from the validation of somebody on the outside of me. So acceptance and tolerance, you know, those words I have an issue with because that's giving my own validity, me validating myself, me honoring myself, me loving myself. That's putting that into the power and into the hands of other people. I don't need you to accept me. I don't need you to tolerate me. The demand is respect for my humanity. Period. Period. Full stop. That's all we're talking about. And that includes my rights, my equal rights. That's what it includes. Even when you don't like me, even when you don't like who I'm sleeping with, not that that's any of your business. You know, it's there's so we're tangled. We're too tangled right now. And everybody else's stuff. We just we don't have to agree to get along. I I just don't understand what's happening right now. <laughs> I mean, I do understand what's happening, but like, it's exhausting. I'm exhausted.
2: <laughs> Lastly, Billy, you were talking earlier, you know, to about taking this leadership position. You know, realizing that you had to do that, and it's nice seeing you play a character like that too, like in Pray Tell, you know, this idea of a generation of um, Mm -hmm. elders who who can teach things to us. What's been one moment now where you've been working in the industry and you've seen maybe like another black queer artist doing something and you're like, it made you feel good about where we're going now?
4: Well, all of them really. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have this new influx of black queer writers like Terrell McCraney and Jeremy mm-hmm. O'Harris and and Donye uh, Jones, I think is his, his name is. And you have the actors, you have actors on, you know, the boys on Pose. Um, you have Rick Hall. Like there are so many queer people of color coming up empowered in ways that just didn't exist. For us, when we were coming up, and that's black or white, you know, or whatever, like it just didn't exist. It's a special time. You know, the pushback that we're getting from the other side is based on the knowledge and the true understanding that, like Tony Kushner says in Angels in America, the the world only spins forward. So, all of the ideals that they hold, all of the hate that they hold, all of that stuff is going away. Whether they like it or not, it's going away. You know, we're in the last vestiges of a kind of hate that will be inconsequential. You know, maybe not in my lifetime. You know, I might not get to the mountaintop with you. You know, but that's where (laughs) we're going. And while legislation can be put in place to slow things down, and that's what's happening right now. You can slow it down but it will never be stopped.
2: Thank you for being You're here. You're welcome. Like I said, I'm said i on a podcast. Can I can't everybody. throw my hands yeah. up at everything you say. Yeah. I have to <laughs> lean into the mic. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh. Thank you. Thank you again, Billy. And everyone, make sure you also catch Billy on CBS All Accesses, The Twilight Zone, which is now streaming. Ramon Biles is the cover star of Vogue's August issue, and fans were quick to note that famed photographer Annie Leibovitz was the wrong choice to take photos of the 23-year-old champion. Why? Because just like many white photographers, she is not properly lighting black women. That cover? Offensive.
1: <laughs> it was. It was... Strange because I, I I think of Simone Biles as looking a particular way and it did not capture a specific X factor she always has to me.
2: Not even just the cover. The photos inside just look so dimly lit and there's that particular one where her hands are on her hips and she's looking down like she looks like you in that closet. <laughs> it
1: never ends. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is a shame. I was trying to think of like most notable examples of Annie Leibovitz photographing black people. And I thought of the OJ Simpson trial
0: and that
1: was the number one. Cause Annie Leibovitz obviously is most famous for first her Rolling Stone covers where she did. Uh, uh, there's a one of Bruce Springsteen ice skating. That's really famous. She did the picture of John Lennon and Yoko Ono hours before John Lennon died. She's like a, a rock photographer, really. Um, And she evolved into this person who did, uh, you know, really super glossy magazine shoots. There's a master class with her uh, that you can watch where she teaches you her technique. I'm particularly fascinated with her relationship with Susan Sontag she had for a long time that sounded for the most part awful based on the tidbits I read. But um, (laughs) now here we are. And Simone Biles is just one of these, like, true superhuman people that you want presented in the, like... There's no other word, raddest possible way at all times. So when you, something even slightly misses the mark, you can't stop thinking about it.
2: Part of this overall conversation about black photographers, you know, uh, photographing black people for magazines. And it is very interesting that this Kanye Nass situation happened right as today, this morning, the Vanity Fair cover with Viola Davis dropped And in it, she is photographed by Dario Calmis, who is a black photographer who uses the cover to recreate the scorched black, this 1863 photo of a slave who had been whipped. Uh, Really just making sort of a powerful political statement, but that also looks like a great fucking magazine cover. Mm -hmm. Contrasting that with someone like Simone Biles, who if she's being on Vogue, it should be a moment, you know? And it's sad that the moment is just marred in her not looking good, you know? And marred in the people in her community who she's supposed to be inspiring, thinking about the fact that she don't look good. She doesn't look properly lit, you know? And we've talked about this, you know, with films like... Moonlight, you know, and um, just like cinematographers um, who can make black people look good. We've talked with Issa Rae about this, you know, about just like the poppy colors of um, really just highlighting black people just seems to be lost on so many Magazines. It's just unfortunate, you know, because, you know, there was Tyler Mitchell who shot that Beyonce cover um, for Vogue, and that was the first time they'd used a black photographer, right? And it looked gorgeous. The fact that they couldn't continue to do that is troubling
1: yeah it does seem pretty obvious in retrospect i have to say especially since there's always going to be a niche for annie leibovitz like there's a particular style of mm-hmm. just high octane cover they're always going to need with i guess in particular white celebrities yeah but um
2: she's gonna get that work you know yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. not like denying annie leibovitz a cover is um, <laughs> is gonna keep put her on pork and beans
1: yeah right 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 um but also, by the way, I just want to say that in particular, that Viola Davis cover you're talking about, inside there's an interview too. I think we should maybe add interviews to the EGOT quad <laughs> because
2: she does it. I have.
1: Seri- no, seriously, I mean, it's like there's no expectation that a celebrity be literary, basically. Mm-hmm. And a- every time she says anything, it comes from, first of all, her decades of experience. But second of all, it's so. <laughs> smart. I don't know. I just it it's so rare uh that someone can be so comprehensive and so um mm-hmm. helpful. She's she's just a helpful celebrity to have, frankly.
2: I think that that ties in, you know, with we just talked to Billy Porter, you know? Uh it ties in with black celebrities particularly people who come from the theater as well, you know, like they they've they've read plays, they read other works, you know, and they have so much to say and we're only now hearing it because people are only now asking. Mm-hmm. And on that Viola Davis thing, too, in it, Rodica Jones, the editor of Vanity Fair, uh, discusses how Dario is the first black person to shoot a Vanity Fair cover. And that is insane to me. And I know that they have a hundred year history, but I also know that they were relaunched in 83 at Condé Nast. But even still, since 83, it is Incomprehensible to me, you know? And there's that Vogue one, and then last year what there was just um, Dana Scruggs was the first black woman to shoot a cover for Rolling Stone. She shot Travis Scott and Chart of these firsts.
1: It really is super exhausting to hear things like that. I I I always bring up when um like, Melissa Villasenor was the first Latin woman to be on SNL. It's like, does anybody feel good about that? Like, am I celebrating this? Yeah. It's, it's been, We're 40 years into the show, you know?
2: And I get it's important to note, and there's a great interview with Dario in um, the New York Times out today, too. But um, when Vanity Fair was tweeting out the Viola article, they mentioned, like, in the tweets, and this is the first time, you know, a black photographer... Capital B Black, of course, shot the cover, and I'm like, I don't think that came across how y'all wanted it to come across, <laughs> right? Like, t- tweeting it out in your socials is is so silly.
1: <laughs> it's like, it, yeah, you're, you're trying to come across as ticker tape parade when it really should be something you say with that like um, schmoopy faced emoji at the end. You know, Yeah. <laughs> this is our first, you know. <laughs>
2: That's just my final point on that, you know? It's sad that a lot of the conversation around Viola's cover is now that, um, just the way that it's said that the conversation, the initial conversation of Viola's cover, um, now we're talking about the content in it um, and the actual profile, um, which also could have been written by a black person, but that's neither here nor there. Um, This idea that when you get photographers who can highlight black people... We're going to have better covers, and we will actually be talking about the cover instead of talking about something else. Annie Bits, as we said, is always going to be working. And um, if we're talking about parody in hiring people and, you know, really trying to do the work in Hollywood, we also need to talk about that work in print magazines, and media. And for a while, maybe just have black people shooting black people. White people have had their chance, and <laughs> right. they've, they've done it poorly. I,
1: I've I've seen I've seen their storyboards. I've seen their clips.
2: We can move on from
1: that now, um, I'll, and we should be talking about substantive things like Viola Davis has the triple crown of acting. You should have got the Oscar, the Tony, the Emmy. Viola, can you please pick up like where the wild things are and read it on tape and get that Grammy, girl? You can knock this out in an afternoon. What's going on? <laughs>
2: Uh, can she recap how to get away with murder Yeah, s- so I can know what actually happened in that show? <laughs> s- six seasons, and I still couldn't tell you.
1: Also, uh, we were talking about this before, but she did how many episodes a season of that? Like 22? She should be taking like seven years off, technically. We were talking about how TV is like a brain killer. I am worried for her. Yeah. but
2: That show was always shorter, like 13 to 15. Oh,
1: see? That's what you got to get.
2: Yeah. But even then... 15 is so much longer compared to everything else now.
1: Right, right, right. No, the Brits do that well. You know how Phoebe Waller Bridge has secretly only been on TV for like 25 minutes altogether?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's easier. We all need to go to London where we can just like have some time to like write six episodes and then.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a Christmas special, done. Yeah.
2: (laughs) When we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is keep it, Aida. Girls. you 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 have a girls. You, you look weary.
3: Girls, <laughs> I'm tired, and you guys know I love a good fucking meme. A meme? I'm all here for it. I'm here to turn it inside outside, whatever. I'm here to see Ira play it out until we can't look at it anymore. I love me a good meme. But if I see one more of you motherfuckers cut into something and reveal that it's cake, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. I'm going crazy. (laughs) I'm going crazy. It's demonic. It's Masonic. It is all of the most fucked up things it could be. It's practically devil worship and you guys need to quit this shit out. I'm here trying to live my peaceful life. And if I see one more fondant ramen noodle cake, I'm going to lose it i'm gonna lose it i can't even go in my kitchen anymore i can't look at food my trust issues are shot like i haven't eaten a meal i haven't seen ira or lewis since pre-covid like they could be cake for all i fucking know so just stop (laughs) just please stop i know we're all so thirsty for meme content because we haven't had any in a long time (laughs)
0: but no but
3: no put the knives down and stop making fucking food cakes jesus christ
1: I also am full up on the meta versions where you see the original meme where they're cutting into something and it's cake. And then they cut into the picture of the cutting into the thing, which also turns into cake, too. So we're really full up on like the even Kafka-esque versions of this. Let's slow that down, too.
3: It's over. It's done. There's no rendition of this that's funny anymore. I'm scared you're going to cut into a human being. It's done. Please. (sighs) Keep it keep it all the way
1: truly now that you've said it i'm looking at things just on the zoom and iris plant complete like cake candidate you know what i'm saying like (laughs) yeah yeah. what's your keep it
3: what's your keep it
1: this week uh my keep it is also about a realm called online (laughs) and uh it concerns the content people put on their instagram stories and close friends stories keep it to people posting any sort of gathering involving five or more people for a couple of reasons one, if you're posting it just on main, what is wrong with you? I mean, like, pick up a newspaper, the Twitter, anything. Anything will tell you we don't want to be gathering. And second of all, when you're posting, like, gatherings that are parties, there's, like, a FOMO element that you're, like, putting out into the world. And right now, in a time where we just want – I want to find reasons to isolate more. I want to be even more into it. Do not put this devilish idea into my head that <laughs> – it's me overreacting to the world we're living in. And what I should be doing is having fun and finding people to hang out with whatever. It's like, no, like we need to be modeling behavior for each other. And even though we're allegedly adults and we're allegedly better than, you know, needing role models to copy it really fucking helps to see people not doing obviously bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And if you put this on your close friends and I see it, that's its own weird insidiousness because you're doing this horrible thing. You're only telling a select group of people you're dangerous and should be avoided. And also now it's a secret I have to hold. Like I'm in on it with you. Like you now I'm complicit. That's what I yeah. like. I'm, I've committed a crime. I've committed a crime.
2: What um, what would you prefer people post to their close friends, Lewis? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I'll say, (laughs) Ira has now leaned so far in, I'm intimidated.
2: I was doing the Z-way lean. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Look, if you have amazing symmetrical nipples, throw them out there. I get it. You can do that solo. That's what I like to see.
2: We've heard about what Lewis posted his close friends. Get the fag off the Instagram. I don't want to see that. (laughs) If you want to see
1: what looks like a kind of ripped Christine Lottie, you want to come to My Close Friends.
2: (laughs) It's only fans but free. (laughs) A garage sale of, yeah, of shoulders. Offer up. (laughs) Uh, Well, my key fit this week is... um, to that Sesame Street rapper <laughs> <laughs> chance. Oh, no. I've right. been so excited yeah.
3: for this. I was really hoping this would happen.
2: Listen, I, d- I didn't even want to have to talk about Kanye motherfucking West on this show uh-huh. again. I, right. I, I hate actually talking about him, no. um, despite what people probably think, because we have to talk about him sometimes, one, because... Um, it does well for our Snapchat ratings. Uh, but two... Thank you, Faye Dunaway and Network. Yes. Yes. Um, we really glossed over his idiotic, um, I'm running for president in 2020 thing because it is idiotic. It's silly.
1: And also, and we, we talked about this before, he's a complete narcissist and talking about a narcissist is like drinking about an alcoholic. Like, it's, I don't want to do it. it you understand that. it's yes. toxic.
2: Yeah, Of course... Chance the Rapper did not get this memo, and he starts tweeting about how y'all out here trying to convince me to vote for Biden, Mm. all because Kanye posted this track, Donda, on Twitter on the anniversary of his mother's death. And the track sampled his mom uh, repeating um, Chris Warren's Sound of the Police lyrics in the 80s gospel of the Clark Sisters. Chance retweets this with, and y'all out here trying to convince me to vote for Biden, because Kanye honoring his mom's death is reason that he should be president? I <laughs> Like, none of it made any fucking sense. And then he started doubling down on it and continuing to talk about how we need to give a black man a chance and that Democrats are not the friends of black people and that we should be voting for a black person to lead us, which we can have that conversation. You know, I, I would really like to have that conversation. I have to tell you that, mm-hmm. you know, about the Democratic <laughs> Party and, you know, how there are often no parties that really have all of the expressed needs of black people considered. Um, in their platforms, and in their actions. But the idea that Kanye fucking West is the answer to this, the idea that we need to vote for and elect another celebrity who has no idea what they're fucking doing in the presidency um, political office in general is wild picture him picking a Supreme Court
1: justice I mean I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm just saying that alone that's the I imagine that's the one thing he has to do that should send shivers through your household in a San Andreas fault way
2: And he tries to throw it out with, you know, um, the particular skills required in the job for president in the past include a stomach for war crimes and an indifference or adherence to white supremacy or, you know, keeping things status quo. He's like, Andrew Jackson is still on our money and we're well aware of his special skill set. Nigga, are we comparing Joe Biden to Andrew Jackson? Is, 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 is that the leap we are making so that you can make a point that we should vote for Kanye West? The logic.
3: <laughs> Lacking.
2: Put down the coloring book and open a textbook.
3: <laughs> you know what? Here from two black Midwesterners, No Name and Chance the Rapper now have to send their tweets to both Ira and I before they're allowed to be posted on the <laughs> internet. I'm tired of reading this shit.
2: And asking, are you more pro-Biden or anti Yay and why? Like, I get that you'll want to reply that you're just trying to get Trump out, but in this hypothetical scenario where you're replacing Trump, can someone explain why Joe Biden would be better? The situation is not hypothetical.
0: <laughs>
2: the situation is happening in November. It's right now. It's yeah. happening. The fuck is wrong with you? I, have, I hate nothing more than... Um, I'm just asking questions, Twitter.
1: Albert, no, it like, uh, tell me I'm wrong, Twitter.
2: You know, another version of narcissism. Like, like,
1: I'm gonna put this energy out into the universe, and now I'm gonna make my Y'all hundreds decipher. of thousands of
2: followers control that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's usually people with large ass platforms who do this, and then you have people in their mentions saying, "Oh, that's an interesting thought. Let's discuss it." It's so dumb. <laughs> I shouldn't say dumb. I'm sorry. That's ableist. It's so idiotic. <laughs> And the other thing about this, too, is, you know, it is helping something that is dangerous because a Kanye presidency would also be dangerous in many different ways. Just because he's black don't mean that he can save us.
3: Woof. Woof.
2: I also want to drag <laughs> Forbes, too, because they did that fucking interview with Kanye West mm-hmm. talking about how maybe he could peel away votes from Biden and if Forbes knew any actual black people, ain't nobody voting for Kanye West. <laughs> and certainly not the black people who are waiting in line hours to fight against voter suppression so that we can get Trump out of office are not at all thinking about getting up in the morning and going to stand in line at a polling place so they can vote for Kanye West. It's trash. And I'm, and I'm tired of talking about this shit. Chance the Rapper... The funniest part about it was he kept tweeting all this, and then Terry Crews chimed in saying, "Like right on, you know," <laughs> because he too has been attacked by the quote unquote black mob um that you know doesn't allow for independent thought. And then Chance was like, "Oh no, wait! I don't want that endorsement, Terry." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> down this hill.
3: <laughs> Damn, I wish we could get extra messy on this podcast. So
2: even they're girl. fighting. <laughs> <Yeah>. girl. <laughs> the girls oh. are fighting. The <laughs> girls are fighting. We <laughs> need to get more.
1: It, it's funny how you can kind of get people to be quiet based on endorsements they don't want. Like, that's secretly mm-hmm. the good thing
2: about Twitter, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although he was real loud about that, but had nothing to say with Donald Trump thanking him in a tweet. Yeah, right?
3: Yeah. I didn't even know that happened. And that's
2: my whole thing, too. If Donald Trump is thanking you and saying that Kanye running is a good thing for black people and for politics, maybe stop and think about that. (laughs) And if you haven't stopped to think about the things Donald Trump says already, why? Stop and think (laughs) about anything. Truly anything. My favorite part of this was a subtweet from John Legend where he tweeted out, yesterday reporters always ask me if more artists should speak out about politics i always say um not necessarily it ain't for everybody if you're more comfortable just making bops do that we need that in our lives too if you are going to speak out try to do your homework read about it talk to activists and organizers and people impacted be open to evolution and changing your mind be intentional and strategic and think about the impact of your words on the real lives of real people We know exactly what he was talking about. And I think that's all we have to say about Chance the Rapper.
1: Listen only to EGOT winners. I've said this before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's our show. Thanks again to Billy Porter for joining us. And we will see you next week. Keep It is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our digital team is Nadine Mokonian and Milo Kent. Thank you to Brian Sebel for production support every week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.